Welcome to the PokePress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode has three segments. The first is an interview with Veronica Taylor, the voice of Ash Ketchum for the first eight seasons of the Pokemon dub. We talk about how she got involved in the series, as well as what she's been doing lately in her career. For the second segment, Anne from PPP Podcast helps me discuss the ending themes of the recently released Magirna movie. Find out which side of the ocean we think comes out on top in this matchup. In our final segment, I interview the winner of the Masters VGC competition at this year's Midwest Regional. We discuss the player's team and the strategy behind it. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. Before we start the Veronica Taylor interview, I wanted to let you know that I was only able to salvage a portion of the audio from my voice recorder. So most of this is from the camera microphone. Thanks for understanding. Hi, I'm Steven Reich here at OhanaCon in Madison, Wisconsin at the Minotaurus Convention Center. I'm here with Veronica Taylor, who many of you will know as the voice of Ash Ketchum in the first eight seasons of the Pokemon dub. And Veronica, we just have a, a few questions we want to ask. Uh, first of all, how'd you get into voice acting? Uh, I've been an actor since I was five. I went to college and grad school for acting. I moved to New York City. I auditioned for one project, and then I, um, I booked that, and then they asked me to audition for something else, and it kind of steamrolled from there. That's the short answer. I got you there. So what about Pokemon itself? How did you find out about that project? How did you interview for it? How did that come about? Well, I was working on Slayers at the time, which was a really funny, kooky anime, if you haven't seen that. Um, and the people who cast me in that were also doing the casting for Pokemon, so that's how I was asked to come over. And, you know, at first, uh, what were your kind of expectations, and then it sort of blew up? What was that like? <laughs> well, I had no expectations. They said, oh, this is going to be on TV, but none of us really believed it. And I just, I loved the project from the beginning. We got to see a tiny clip when we were auditioning, and I just, gosh, I just fell in love with it. So being cast in it was like a dream come true. But we didn't know what would happen, uh, where it was going, how long it would last, anything. And, uh... As a character, you played Ash, you also did May uh, yeah. during that time period. You had to sing as a character every now and again. Of course, you have a couple parts as Ash, and in the sixth movie, you did some singing as May. What was that kind of like? Well, I sing a lot in different character voices, actually, on all different shows. And I, I think for myself, I kind of find it easier to sing as a character, and I like to be able to kind of put that voice, the spin on it. Um, it's super fun. We did the Pokemon Christmas Bash, which was really, really fun, and also strange. <laughs> we listen to it every year at home. Really? <laughs> yes. So it was great to do it. I like to sing in character voices. That's neat. Uh, how is it different from normal singing? Like uh, if you were just to do a, a solo album of, of your own voice, how would that be different? Um, I think you are able to act the songs in a different way because you're acting from a different perspective. And you also have to keep your voice kind of, you know, I as a person, my range is however big it can be from high to low. But Ash's range is, is different. He doesn't have a full, he can't go very high. He's a young boy, and, but it's kind of a gruff voice, so his high is not as high as my high is. You know, so you have to kind of sing from the, the vocal range and perspective of the character. So it's a neat challenge. Well, you know, I kind of figured, I've talked with other voice actor singers, and that's, that's uh, pretty much fun. But yeah, it's fun hearing that. Yeah. 
All right, well, a couple other things I wanted to talk about. First of all, this is really your first time at a major Pokemon event. This is actually, there's a, there's a regional TCG and video game competition going on here. What are your impressions of that? It's amazing, and to see the room filled with all of these people, it's the quietest convention I've ever been at because everyone is working away and playing and competing, and it's really amazing to be part of this here and trying to be kind of quiet and have fun and talk to all the people coming up to see me. That, that has got to be an awesome experience. But it's something you didn't have. Even in, in the old days, they didn't bring you out to these types of things. Yeah, I've never had the opportunity at all. So this is um, a unique event anyway that Ohanacon is happening at the same time as the tournament. And that, um, you know, people during their breaks can come over to talk to me and to Eric Stewart, who played Brock. And um, so we're here, and I don't know, it's really neat. And I, I talk to people at conventions about their experiences in tournaments and it's just what a commitment it takes to learn all of this and as a family to travel to the tournaments and just to be part of it is a pretty And uh, you can't see her here, but speaking of family, your daughter has actually been helping you out on, on some of this stuff. What's it like traveling around with your, with your daughter? She was born around the time the, the Pokemon TV series started. Uh, what's that kind of like? Uh, it is amazing. Amazing for both of us, I would say, um, but especially for me to, um, to travel with my daughter and have all these shared experiences and be able to meet people together. And I don't know, we have an incredibly fun time. Yeah, we ever get to travel with family, that's a great experience. All right, well, one more thing. Uh, what have you been doing recently? Obviously, you're no longer involved with the show. We won't get into that. But right. what have you been doing in the last few years? Well, yeah, I was on the first eight years of Pokemon, which was extraordinary. And then I worked on a ton of cartoons at the same time for four kids. But now I work on, I have a show coming out on Nickelodeon. I have something that just came out on Sprout called Ollie and Moon. Um, that's a really fun show and kind of a travel show for kids. I work on Sailor Moon. I play Sailor Pluto. Um, we have new episodes coming out all the time. I am on Astro Blast, which is still on. Word World is still on. I don't know. I'm doing a ton of things. I do a lot of audiobooks. So I'm pretty much uh, busy every day doing something. It's just not as easy to find what I'm on as it was when I was on Gotcha there. Do you have a website or any social media accounts you'd like to talk about? Sure, I'm at veronicataylor.net. You can find me on Twitter at TheVeronicaT, which is T-H-E, Veronica T. Same with Instagram. And Facebook, I'm TheVeronicaTaylor. All right. Well, thank you very much, Veronica. This has been Steve Wright at OhanaCon in Madison, Wisconsin with Veronica Taylor. Hi, I'm Stephen Reich here at the PokePress Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm on the phone with Anne from PQ Podcast. And before we get on to the advanced generation movies, we decided that in our series of comparisons of the Japanese and English ending songs of the Pokemon movies, since the Magirna movie just came out, uh, Volcanion the Mechanical Marvel, we would do a comparison on that one. So this one structurally is going to be more or less the same as the regular episodes, but of course we haven't seen the movie as many times, and we haven't listened to the songs maybe as many times, because these are relatively new. Um, but before we get into the actual movie discussion, I want to take just a minute or two out here to sort of explain why, at least from my perspective, I started this series and why I wanted to do this series. One point of this is obviously musical appreciation discussion. I felt that Pokemon music wasn't getting as good a discussion as it could. So that's one of the reasons. Uh, but one of the reasons I started it last year 
is that not just because of the tenor of the political situation, but also some creative products that came out last year, I don't feel like they got a fair shake from the internet. And I'm well aware I can't solve all of the internet polarization problems all by myself. So I figured I would stick to the area I know best, which is uh, Pokemon music, and see if I can't work out a way that we can sort of compare and contrast without totally hating on something um, to prop up the other or anything like that, to have a, a nice, hopefully very thoughtful discussion. And I hope these have done that. Uh, if you have any comments, um, if this is on Anne's Patreon, go ahead and leave a comment there. Otherwise, if this is on my YouTube channel, uh, leave a comment there. But that's that's kind of part of the reason I want to start this discussion, to show that it is possible in today's day and age to have a civilized comparison between two items. Uh, Anne, sounds like you kind of agree with that. Yeah, and, like, from my end, I enjoy, like, just talking about Pokemon and sharing the thing I love. Like, I do this podcast because it brings me joy. But it's been fun, like, being able to have my mind changed because you have very different musical tastes and life experience. So you come at these songs from a different angle. And there are sometimes, like, there are some songs that I've kind of come around a bit hearing you explain what you like or dislike about them. And that's kind of wonderful. And I think those are conversations the internet has trouble having sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's good to remind ourselves that we can we can talk like that and it's okay to have your mind changed about something you feel very passionately about. Or at least if you still don't agree with the person on the other side, at least you can sort of identify the sort of nugget of truth or experience that they're coming from there. Yeah, to, to appreciate their passion. So that's that's part of the genesis of this series, in case you were wondering. But anyway, going on to Movie 19, Vulcanian and the Me Mechanical Marvel, a.k.a. Magirna. <laughs> so let's see, on the Japanese side, we have an artist called Yuki, who performs Mailing Out My Voice. And then on the English side, we have Danny Marcus performing Soul Heart. So we're going to do what we usually do here. We're going to sort of talk about what we know about the production details and the artists. And we're going to sort of talk about the songs um, musically. And we're going to try to come to some sort of conclusion. And then we usually wrap up with some discussion about some of the other music associated with the movie. So we usually start each section on the Japanese side. So, And what can you tell me about mailing out my voice and its performer, Yuki? Okay, yeah, so Yuki Kuramochi, she was uh, the lead singer for a group called Judy and Mary, which um, anime fans, you probably know this band. They did a song for Ruroni Kenshin, and Judy and Mary is kind of one of the big groups to have come out of Japan. Like, they are very, very influential in the 90s and got a lot of traction in America as well. And, you know, people still talk about them and their influence on, like, new wave and punk and pop music as well. And Yuki, somewhere around like 2001, 2002, Judy Mary disbanded and Yuki and I think the guitarist Takia both went off to solo careers. So Yuki, she goes by just her first name, all caps, and she's kind of a singer-songwriter. So she and her producer, Kenji Tamai, were likely commissioned to write a song for uh, the movie 19th ending or to provide a song. Um, I would guess that they didn't write it like 
specifically with this movie in mind, but rather just kind of that general, it needs to fit into Pokemon sense that's kind of been happening throughout a lot of the more recent movies. You had mentioned a moment ago that they had influence or had been some crossover in the U.S. Can you sort of uh, give an example? Let's see. Judy and Mary have such an interesting sound that was unlike what was going on in America at the 90s. So it really appealed to a lot of fellow musicians, which got them a lot of traction in the US. And then again, they're releasing Sobakasu for, you know, the anime Ruroni Kenshin got them a lot of traction with like anime fans and the convention circuit. So they just got a lot of opportunities to be invited to music festivals and, you know, have their song on record stores and in iTunes and all those fun things as time went on. And in Japan, like they just have a very unique sound of sort of that punk rock, but they've also got those really like high pitched nasal vocals that you kind of associate with a lot of anime themes like that. That was kind of a movement in Japan that they were at the forefront of to, you know, have that dempa, almost off key sound, but also really iconic melodies. Um, and, and yeah, it was just such a unique sound and hit at a perfect time in music where a lot of artists in America were looking overseas to what was happening in other countries, that they really just got to capitalize on a lot of opportunities to go outside of their expected sphere. Always neat when the uh, artists have a little more of a background, which, you know, with a, a new movie, you're not always sure if you're going to gonna get that. All right, well, if we head back over to the English side, as I mentioned, this is Soul Heart, and it is performed by Danny Marcus. So she also did the ending themes for the Diancie and Hoopa movies uh, from the XY generation. Uh, not sure if she'll be doing anything in the upcoming Sun and Moon generation as of yet. Um, the music and lyrics are by Ed Goldfarb. Uh, a lot of you will remember that starting in X and Y, they sort of brought in this new guy called Ed Goldfarb to do the scoring and uh, rearrangement and opening themes for the anime over that generation. If you'd like to know more about him, I was able to do a written interview a couple years ago. It's on the PokePress blog. If you dig through to, I think, about 20... 14 would be about the time, but I'm not 100% sure on that. It was not long after the anime started doing its regular airing on television. Um, so he's very in, much been involved the last couple of years since he took over there. Danny, aside from doing these themes, she's had a little bit of involvement with the Pokemon anime. She's done a few small-ish roles. Uh, one of the ones you remember is Marley, who, if memory serves me, is one of the uh, two-on-two companions in the Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum games. She's done a few other characters of the day, so this musical stuff isn't her only thing with Pokemon, but it might as well be the, the biggest thing she's done there. So, unfortunately, that's about all I can give you on the English side. I don't know a lot about the production, especially as it gets this deep into the series, unfortunately. I haven't had a chance to interview Danny. I'd love to do that someday. But uh, let's move on to our second part where we talk about the musical styling of each. Uh, going back to the Japanese side, Mailing Out My Voice has kind of a retro sound. Uh, do you want to sort of describe it, uh, Anne? Oh, how can you describe what goes on? Um, well, at, with Yuki as the singer, it's definitely got like that same vocal quality and 
lyrical sensibility that she's had throughout her entire career of like interesting melodies and like easy to pick out melodic patterns but she's you got like a very nasal sound and you know almost a little bit scattered or off key like kind of a chaotic unpolished sound which is like I don't know how to find words to describe that type of vocal quality because at this you know she's a very accomplished singer but at the same time it to our Western sensibilities, it does not sound that way. Um, but she has that very anime sound to her voice that we kind of stereotypically associate with anime and Akihabara type uh, music. But at the same time, she's got like a very Keiji Tamai has this beautiful underscoring that kind of balances it out and makes for an interesting blend of sounds and then some really complicated lyrics on top of that. And I think that's kind of the feel you got from a lot of Judy and Mary stuff in the day. That's how Yuki likes to write lyrics is she's got this childish voice singing about some very deep and complex things and a lot of really specific imagery. And then depending on who's working with her musically at the time, the accompaniment and the arrangement can take on a lot of different and diverse directions. You mentioned the lyrics. Um, I did browse through an English translation of them. You could apply it to the movie in maybe a couple different ways. Um, the most direct one, I think, would be sort of c- comparing to the relationship between Vulcanian and Magirna. Does that sound about right to you? I think you could, because, yeah, they spent a lot of time kind of apart, but being connected through different ways. I wonder if you could almost make this an ending theme for a different movie, because I was getting a lot of vibes of like Ash and his mom and Ash and Brock and Misty and, you know, that traveling faraway places, but still connected sort of thing and sending letters back home. Maybe movie two or three where like mom actually showed up and we talked about those themes of like being away from home. Like, I don't know, it just felt like this almost would work better for some other movie. <laughs> did did you get that kind of a vibe at all? Or Well, certainly the reference to mailing certainly suggests something other than sort of the, you know, the Magirna-Volcanian relationship, because, yeah, it certainly implies some sort of long-range physical communication. Yeah, there is, in, in the movie, actually, there are... Several different, I guess you could say, types of connections, because, of course, there's the bond between uh, Vulcanian and Magirna. There's also the almost physical link between Ash and Vulcanian during most of the movie. Yeah, um, yeah, there's where they that. they have that weird thing where if they get too far apart, they get pulled back together. That's an interesting idea. I'm not sure if it's used super well there, but I kind of like the mechanic. They've done similar things in, in episodes before, but anyway. And you sort of have, you know, you have the two, the prince and the princess from the kingdom. Um, so they're kind of connected in a way. So I, I guess this is kind of a movie about connections of a sort. Yeah, and there's the connection from, like, history to the present that had the potential, at least, to be really poetic and powerful that you could apply to this song, but like the movie itself, there's so many very interesting things that don't coalesce as a whole. Like the song by itself is really complex and beautiful and the the music video is super interesting, but it doesn't 
connect to the movie. And the movie has so many interesting things and ideas and moments like the mechanical thing that keeps Ash and Vulcanian together and and again the history connection and passage of time but it doesn't come together to mean something as a whole in the way that a lot of other movies have done better yeah that's sort of spoil my opinion on the movie yeah sorry we maybe could have jumped to that later but (laughs) but um this is not my Definitely not near the top of the list of Pokemon movies for me. Probably actually towards the bottom, um, to be honest. I watched this, uh, for the first time a, a couple, a week or two ago in Australia with, uh, Devin Maryland. Um, and I watched it again today just to sort of refresh on it. But in, in any case, uh, yeah, there's definitely some connection mechanics I, I, in the movie. So I guess maybe that sort of fits in there. Yeah. Maybe that's why I liked it so much. Just like all the little things and maybe. As I'm slowly starting to realize that it doesn't all fit together, maybe it's going to start dropping down the rankings for me. <laughs> but as far as the the music of there, at the beginning and end of the song, I have trouble. It's kind of a clicking type noise. I have trouble describing it. It's sort of this. I suppose it's supposed to sound kind of like a small gear or something like that, because, of course, we have Magearna, I mm-hmm. guess, is the mechanic there they wanted to throw in. Does that sound about right to it you? It does, and there's – it may also be a bit of a connection to the the PV, the music video, because she does a lot of interesting things with puppetry. I, I mean, I would guess if they were told some things about the movie before they started work on this song, it's probably more of a callback to Magearna, but it kind of – that clicking sound kind of gives you the feel of an old-timey movie and, like, the moving of the puppet and that sort of thing. Yeah, and unfortunately, even if you can get to that song, I'm guessing that video is pretty hard to come by in the U.S., so... Yeah, I'm not sure, because a lot of that... Like, the song itself is blocked. Uh, sometimes the video is, too, outside of Japan, especially if it, like, has scenes in the movie or anything like that. Maybe. But. I'm pretty sure... Like, you might not find it on YouTube, but I think if you Google Yuki and the title name in Japanese, you'll find the official Japanese sites and, like, her website and things will come up. Okay. And you should be able to find it without too much trouble there. Like, I think it's been released officially through some internet channels and available to play in other countries. Okay. But, yeah, no, it is a little bit more difficult, I think, probably. Beyond that, uh, any other comments on either the style or the lyrics of the song there? You know, I'm not really a huge fan of her voice especially, but there's something very charming and old-fashioned about the sound and the song as a whole that I really appreciate. And for a song specifically about Pokemon and Ash and Pikachu and that sort of feel of his journey traveling and his connections to other people. I really like it. There's even like a line about like a seven colored rainbow arch, which like ties back to best wishes. (laughs) Like there is a lot of Pokemon in this song, but I don't see it for the movie. And that is always my thing on this (laughs) in this series. So that may be one advantage. Not that it always gets used there, but that. The dub does have because yeah. they know the basic plot line 
and they have a few extra months. It used to be, of course, like a full year, year and a half between when they were released in Japan and when it would come out in America. Now it's it's still a few months that may give them a little extra wiggle room to work on something there. Moving over to Soulheart. So I did want to comment on something musically about it. When I first heard it, it, it did okay with me. I haven't been, to be honest, a huge fan lyrically of... Ed Goldfarb's, uh, like I said, lyrical work. I think he's a better arranger and composer than he is a lyricist, to be perfectly honest there. But just listening to this musically, I, I eventually, it just kept nagging me that this sounds kind of familiar. And it eventually <laughs> hit me that the, the main riff of this bears a somewhat loose but noticeable resemblance to the song Memories from the musical Cats by Andrew Lloyd Webber, which is just kind of an odd thing. It's not similar enough that I think the Pokemon Company is going to get any sort of legal trouble, but if you play them side by side, uh, the, the, the song Memories from Cats goes in a lot of different places, but there is that one little passage that sounds kind of similar between the two, and not sure how intentional that was, or if that's just, you know, when you have a certain limited set of things to work with, or in, in, as you sometimes do in music, or whatever. But I did kind of want to mention that, and I'm not sure if that makes me like it more or less. We've talked about other times where songs have had similarities to other works or to art artists um, out there. But I did kind of want to start off by mentioning that. As far as the lyrics, I think it follows pretty closely. It sounds like it's being told from McGearn's perspective about how she, or actually how it, it, it does obviously have a very female appearance, but like most legendary Pokemon, it isn't it. How it sort of came to be, and sort of its effect, and uh, sort of how its life has played out. Uh, does that sound about right to you, uh, Anne? Yeah, like I was a, a little surprised at how very specifically, it seemed to tie into Magirna and what it might have been feeling throughout the course of the movie. Because unlike uh, Vulcanian, uh, Magirna doesn't really say anything. It has some, you know, chirp is maybe not the right word, but some little sounds it makes to sort of show approval or, or disagreement or sadness or whatever it happens to be feeling at the time. But uh, ha so having a song by uh, from its perspective is is kind of interesting. It is basically a retelling of some of the main features of the movie. And did you have any other comments on uh, the lyrics there? Well, the first two stanzas kind of really stuck out to me. It, again, just it was that moment where I was like, "Oh wow, this is very specifically about the movie." Like you know the the talking about being forged of steel and and driving men apart, the forgotten plane. Like just, it kind of took me into a different world because I didn't expect to get inside Magirna's head after an entire movie where it didn't have a voice that the audience heard in that way. And so being in that sense of like, this is Magirna singing and this is, this is everything Magirna's feeling kind of made the ending of the song like, you know, let me be your guiding light. Um, anyone seeking a new start, like, let me be your shining star started to give the movie a bit more meaning and resonance. And, and again, maybe kind of contribute to why I still kind of have positive feelings about it, despite it being all over the place. I don't know, I started picking out little things about the movie that worked really well for me individually, 
because the first couple stanzas were so character and and like specific to the movie. And I just thought that was very interesting. Yeah, it's definitely something that we haven't seen as much in in sort of the recent movies where it yeah. sort of, you know, nails on to there where you can totally tell. I mean, there's nothing explicit and there's no mention of Pokemon anywhere in the song, but listening to it and having seen this movie, you totally connect those. Uh, you can tell it is, it is for this movie, um, almost in, in kind of a way that I guess you could say, going way back, all the way to the English version of the first movie, We're a Miracle, kind of is like that too, except, of course, We're a Miracle, not written for the movie, whereas this almost certainly was. But yeah, like in that sense of like, you're listening to We're a Miracle and you're like, is it actually quoting the script? Like, you're so surprised it's not written for the movie. This is kind of that same thing. It's like, I mean, I, I guess it could have resonance in other contexts, but it is so tied to this one context and this one character that you you feel very connected because of it. Do you think this is something they should try more often? I enjoy it. I, I enjoy when the music tied to a film, whether because you picked it for a specific reason or because you crafted it specifically for a situation. Like I like when it when the entire project connects. So I, I would love to see more of this sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it is certainly possible to go too close to the source material if you do it the wrong way. Um, it's hard for me to come up with an exact example about that. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. Like, I, I do think that since we have had a bit of a departure from that, especially on the Japanese side with them kind of commissioning out of house, I would kind of like to see a period where we got a bit back more in-house like each project was its own contained thing. I, I don't know. I just think they could do some really interesting things with that for a couple years. <laughs> that is kind of the interesting sort of like reverse parallel between the dub and the Japanese side. The Japanese side started contracting out more and more. Mm -hmm. And the English side has since about... Well, really, since movie three or four has done virtually everything internally, which produces somewhat of a different result in each case. And, and we mentioned earlier that because the dub comes out a few months later, they may have access. We do know that, for example, uh, episodes of the show are often dubbed before they've actually aired in Japan. So they're they're far enough ahead that they have that kind of thing so that may also be an asset when writing music is that they they may be able to clue in on things a little bit more easily mm -hmm. but going back to sort of the the cats analogy i did want to say that as far as the the voice of this i bet danny marcus i assume she's from the new york city area i don't know how much if any broadway experience she has but she sounds like she could do a pretty good job on uh, a number of uh, musicals there I i'd go see her I think she'd kill it. Uh, definitely a very talented singer, and uh, I'd be interested to know if she has any other work out there. I haven't really looked for it, uh, but I'm not explicitly aware of anything either. Yeah, I'm not uh, either. Yeah, she certainly has the voice to do whatever she wants in life, so <laughs> like, I've been very impressed. All right, well, you know, since we haven't had these around as long, maybe we don't have... Uh, as much to say about them, and, you know, our opinions may even change over time. We might do a revisit at some point. But um, 
you know, if you had to pick one of these songs to kind of, you know, be the better symbol of the movie, do you have a particular feeling there, Anne? Well, you know, I think I'm going to go with Soul Heart this time. Um, and as you say, like, our opinions might change over time, but as, as it stands now, Soul Heart seems to fit the movie specifically, which is always, like, you know, my trump card whenever the songs are a tie. And it is a sound that is more pleasing to my ears. Like, like Yuki is very talented in the genre of music that she does and the style of singing she does, as I mentioned, like, she, her contribution to the music scene in Japan in the 90s cannot be denied, but it is not a sound that I specifically love myself. So I think on both counts, Soul Heart works for me a little better. But, like, I do love her lyric writing so much, Yuki's, so it, it's kind of a tough to let it go, <laughs> but... I would kind of give the edge to Soul Heart... I do think, though, going along with our previous discussion, that they probably could have taken it even further with a bit longer of a mix and maybe thrown in some more, e even with the, the movie being what it is, which, like I said, is not one of my favorite Pokemon movies, certainly. I think they could have probably gone deeper and maybe made some more acute observations there, like I said, even with the movie being what it is. Mm. And uh, I would have liked to see that, but that being said... Yeah, I kind of gotta give Soul Heart the edge. Neither of these are, you know, I don't think uh, Mailing Out My Voice is a terrible song in any sort of way. It does have some neat things in it. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I, I think the sort of thing here we came up with is that when we were discussing before we recorded this is that we're kind of lukewarm on on both of these songs. Neither of them is terrible. I don't know that any of either of them is going to have a super lasting appeal either. I think in the grand uh, scheme of Pokemon ending songs, I think these are both sort of going to, at some point, kind of fall by the wayside as kind of a footnote. Uh, maybe Soul Heart a little less so. But um, that's that's sort of my opinion there. I, I, I would pick Soul Heart above mailing out my voice. They both have good things. Neither of them is terribly offensive. No, neither of them is going to be on my top five list of Pokemon movie ending themes ever. So I would agree with that. Like. Uh, mailing out my voice has so many interesting things and interesting lyrics, but it doesn't capture me in the same way that, say, Mama or Bekimono does for me, or it, it doesn't like, give the same, like, Pokemon, like, instantly you recall that movie to memory that Together with the Wind does. So it, it's just, it's just a good song. And when you're putting together your ultimate Pokemon playlist, just a good song kind of doesn't cut it. <laughs> I suppose. And I, I think you mentioned that you, you sort of use this as a tiebreaker, which one relates closer to the movie if you can't make a decision otherwise. To be honest, I think that actually may work in Soul Heart's favor to sort of help the person kind of remember, because I think this, this movie is not a complete mess, but kind of a <laughs> bit of a jumble in places. This is true. <laughs> Well, with that said, let's talk about some of the other music in this movie. There's no short, not even in Japan, uh, for this one. Yeah. But, uh, of course, there's the score. Now, because this is the first time we've covered an X and Y movies, one, one thing they'd started doing with this generation is that a lot of the score 
is replaced. Basically, what they end up keeping from the Japanese side in the dub are most of the game-related stuff. So there are some things that come from the actual video games, like the uh, Welcome to the World of Pokemon, and I think they keep Clements, like, uh, Future is Now, Thanks to Science uh, theme there, and one or two other things there. But the rest of it is, is, is sort of replaced. I'm not sure if I have a super huge opinion about the score on either side. I did listen to the Japanese score album, and knowing how the movie is structured, I sort of pieced things together there. I do think that, kind of like the movie, the score is a bit all over the place. There's a lot of different styles, and they don't seem to mesh as well when you listen to it like in a straight shot as, say, when we were talking about the fifth movie, where there's a couple distinct styles there, but they seem to work more cohesively. And did you sort of come to the same conclusion there? I agree. Like, overall, the score didn't, like, impact me very much at all. Like, I barely remember. But I do remember thinking, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of fun little interludes for, like, the comic relief scenes, and then there's, you know, some more orchestral or dramatic moments for the more the dramatic moments. But you don't feel a sense of cohesion and none of it is particularly striking in its separateness either. Like it is not like a particular melody popped out or, or particular musical cue popped out. And I was like, well, that doesn't fit with the rest of the movie, but it is really cool. Like it was just lukewarm all around. So yeah. (laughs) I will say that, um, you know, one of the, the things I've said in previous episodes is that I haven't been super bothered by with the X and Y movies and them replacing a lot of the score elements. They would do that occasionally before, usually when the Japanese ending theme song was used and they used a different ending theme song, so they had to swap that out. But one of my criticisms of the last couple Japanese scores is that I don't think they had... They weren't super memorable on their own. This one, I think, does a little better. I think the compositions on the Japanese side are a little bit better. I think the playing, actually, the uh, people doing the instruments in the orchestra or, or whatever else seem to have a little more feeling in there. So that's that's good, but it still, I think, like I said, has that same problem as the movie, where it is a little bit disjointed. And uh, the English score, I'd have to listen to the movie really closely, uh, because it's not a separate recording for me to listen to on that one. It's a little more difficult for me to say much. I've been okay with some of the replacements over the last few years. I've actually had a couple of those that have struck me as, well, that was really pretty neat, actually. Um, so I, I can see people not liking the replacement. I can see people like myself being okay with it. So it's it's sort of a how-do-you-want-to-take-it type of deal there. Yeah, true as well that we're not as familiar with this particular movie. And I think since the movie in so many ways is not you know, a straight hit out of the park. If we're going to appreciate it, it's going to be through time, I think. <laughs> Quite possibly, yes. The other thing we should probably mention is that each of these versions has uh, a variant of the opening theme for the respective region. Of course, the Japanese one has uh, a special movie version of X, Y, and Z. The American one, or the English one, has Stand Tall as the official name of the third season of X and Y's theme. There's also, later in the movie, there's kind of an instrumental version of each uh, near towards the end. 
I haven't, like I said, as far as the uh, opening theme for X and Y, they have original lyrics. I haven't been as fond of those on the English side. Uh, as far as the Japanese one, I'm I'm more or less okay with X, Y, and Z. Uh, the ending to that song doesn't really do it for me. Uh, it doesn't sound like it, you know, since I don't know much Japanese, maybe it makes more sense if you could, but... The, the Iku Z pun is pretty stellar, I think, but other than that, I have no thoughts. <laughs> Totally over my head. <laughs> so, so there's definitely that. Um, but like we said, no short. So we don't have much to discuss there. But, um, yeah, so we'll have to kind of see. We may revisit this once we get to the XY generation or the Sun Moon generation uh, in this series in a year or so. Um, is about how long it's going to take if we keep doing these <laughs> once a month and depending on how many special episodes we do. But... I think for now, that's going to wrap it up for uh, Volcanion and the uh, Mechanical Marvel. But anyway, going on to what will be our next episode in about a month or so, we will be discussing Movie 6, um, Jirachi Wishmaker, or Wishing Star of Seven Nights. So this one, we've sort of been teasing for a while. It is obviously going to be different, because the... Dub song, it's not a translation. Uh, lyrics don't really have much to do with each other between the two versions. However, it is the same underlying melody, and the they do a sort of a combo version for the English end credits, where it's part of the Japanese version of the song and also a new English lyric version of it. I think we're going to have a lot to say about that, as well as the short. Um, it's, like I said, going to be a little bit of a different structure, because the short also uses the same underlying tune. But uh, definitely looking forward to that discussion anyway. So uh, thank you very much, and been great having you on. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been Stephen Reich from the Pokepress Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. On the phone with Anne discussing the Japanese and English ending themes of the Magirna movie. Hi. I'm Stephen Reich here at OhanaCon in Madison, Wisconsin. I am here with Andrew Novak, who is the winner of the Pokemon video game regional that was held at this year's event in the Masters Division. And Andrew, just a few questions. Uh, first of all, what was the team you used for this event? Uh, the team I used for this tournament uh, was composed of Tapabulu, Feramosa, Nihiligo, Araquanid, Hariyama, and Arcanine. And uh, what led to those choices? Was there a, an overall strategy or just trying to find a certain balance? How did that come about? Uh, this team was given to me by a friend a while back, and I kind of just gave up on it after having like a not-so-great regional. But then the new like popular core is what we call Fake PG, which is what I played in the finals. And my, this team has a really good matchup against it, and I felt that it was a good call for it. So, For folks at home that may not be familiar with that term, can you briefly describe what that is? The Fake BG was that? Uh, yeah, Fake PG is just like what we call a good stuff team. It's like six mons that are considered the best. You have uh, Tapu Fini, Arcanine. Oregon to Tapu Koko, uh, Gigalith or Garchomp, and then Kartana, which, like, yeah, those are just, like, six really strong mons that are just easy to fit on the team. All right. So that was your kind of strategy there. Um, let's talk a little bit about the finals. Let's, let's go to that. So you were against, I believe, you said one of those teams there. Uh, what was what's kind of the strategy when you do encounter that team you're, that you're looking for? 
that's a matchup where I, I had it planned out pretty well. I just knew that Fairmosa is a huge threat to every single mon on that team when paired with Arcanine because I can either get helping hand I can either helping hand and boost my Fairmosa's damage output or I can start clicking U-turn and get like one of my mons in the back into a better field position and I I just felt really confident with that. I knew there really wasn't much he could do so long as I made the right plays and played smart and played my way and which I did. So yeah, you did that extremely effectively. I mean, it was a 2-0 match, and it went very well for you. What, what else worked well for the team in the tournament? Uh, what really worked well for this te- for the tournament was it was a Mon. I, there was a Mon that was probably the MVP in Swiss that I'd never even brought to a top cut match. It was uh, Hariyama. And Hariyama, like the combination of Hariyama and Nihiligo getting up Trick Room was really good because not a lot of teams were prepared for, for it because... Hariyama and Tapu Bulu and her Trick Room do a lot of damage and not a lot of teams can switch in on it, so it worked really well. And when coupled with Fairmosa, I was just able to put on so much pressure that just nobody could really do anything. Yeah, Hariyama, I think a lot of folks, they expect it to be slow, but actually it is extremely slow and it works very well in a Trick Room setup. All right, well, anything you might change? I, I, I'm guessing that's quite possible that the, uh, the team you mentioned on the other side might uh, fall a bit out of favor. Anything you might change about the team if you used it again? Uh, I would definitely, if I were to go and use this team again, I might take off Araquanid just because I brought it to like three, like three games all tournament and it really didn't do much of anything. So like that's the team member that I definitely feel needs to be changed if I use it in the future. But otherwise, everything was really good. So not much to complain about. All right. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. This has been Steven Reich at the Minotaurs Convention Center at OhanaCon 2017 covering the Pokemon Regionals for the Midwest. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. I did want to say one other thing about this movie as sort of a, uh, a, a tag to all of this is that, um, I do like the way Vulcanian moves around and sort of manipulates its body in order to, to move stuff and the way it uses, uh, you know, water pressure to move around. And as it turns out, there is an indie game coming out this summer. It's, uh, Steam World Dig 2, where, which also uses a lot of that type of thing. And, it might sound kind of outlandish. I'd love to have some sort of cameo in there. It, it might sound <laughs> kind of crazy, but if you look at the the Wii U version of the original Steam World Dig, there is a Mario cameo in that game. So it's not the question. I would love to see that in the uh, Steam World uh, Dig Two if they could somehow between Pokemon and uh, Image and Form work that out. That would be pretty awesome, in my opinion. Oh yeah, that would be way fun. <laughs> If nothing else, someone should probably do some sort of, like, rap battle on YouTube or something like that between them. Mash it up with that movie Steam Boy or something. <laughs> and actually, I'd love to also, if they ever make another Ranger game, I'd love to have Vulcanian in that.